I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, as if you didn't know that was coming. <clears throat> okay, tonight we're going to get, we're just going to get right down and dirty. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, we're going to talk tonight about conflict. Conflict has replaced baseball as the American pastime. And we're going to talk about dealing with conflict tonight. And, uh, you don't know how much I wish somebody had taught me this as a young man. I just didn't know what God's word said. And I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to deal with conflict. I've suffered from it. Some of you have. But we're going to talk tonight from God's word from the Bible about how to handle conflict and deal with conflict. Let me just say this before we even read it. Conflict is inevitable. You're not going to avoid it. If you're married, you're going to have conflict. The issue is not never to have conflict. The issue is to handle it right and to, and to be blessed in it. And if you live in this nation, you know, this nation is conflict right now. I'm going to look in Scripture. I want you to look and remember this is, Philippians is, of course, the Word of God to people, but it's our beloved brother Paul writing to a church that he loved so much. And you hear his love for these people in this letter. He, he adored these people. Yeah, I, I showed you earlier where he said, God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus. And it's just the most glowing, it's the most glowing letter in the New Testament. But all of a sudden we hit a little bump in chapter four. And I want you to read with me. He's writing chapter four, verse one. He says this, therefore, now watch how he describes his church folks. My beloved, you heard that word beloved. If you're from the country, it was beloved. But preachers talk about beloved. It, it's a, a Greek word, always being loved or deeply loved. My deeply loved and longed for brethren, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Now watch verse two. Here's what we're going to talk about. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Let's read one more verse. I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in verse two, it speaks of two ladies and whether they were ministers or not, we don't know, but they helped him in the gospel. And their names are in the book of life. So does that make them Christians? If your name's in the book of life, that makes you believe you're, you're a Christian. Now, why all of us, this is the one verse that's out of flow with the whole book. Why did he pause in the middle and say, I love the way it's written in this particular version. I implore you two to be of the same mind in the Lord. Let me read it to you from the Living Bible. I love the Living Bible. It's very... It just sort of amplifies it. Let me read to you. Here, here's what, this is much better to the original text. And this is what you'd have heard if you'd have read this letter. He said in verse two, I want to plead with those two dear women, Euodius and Syntyche, please, please, with the Lord's help, quarrel no more and renew your friendship. So obviously something had happened, hadn't it? And in this letter that was going to be read for thousands of years, he's just glowing. And so happened all of a sudden he stops and he says, now, girls, knock it off. He said, ladies, you are ministers. You've helped me in the gospel. Quit arguing and fussing with each other and rebuild your friendship. So apparently some division, some strife, some discord had gotten in the church there. Imagine that. And he's writing this. Of course, God's speaking through him. Let's get this straightened out. And you'd be surprised how much the Bible talks about strife between people and discord and division between people. So we want to look at that uh, in scripture. How many of you believe there's some uh, division in culture today? How many of you believe there can be even division among Christians and discord among Christians? If you search for this through scriptures, you'll find that the disciples had discord amongst themselves. Jealousy sprung up. They were arguing with each other. Jesus had to straighten them out. Uh, one of the, the church, the brand new church almost split in half over doctrine. Are they required to do this minor issues? They almost split the church over doctrine in Acts chapter 15. Had to have a great council and say, look, these are not issues we should divide over. I find that most of the things that people divide over are not issues we should divide over. They're not that big a deal. And of course, the, we're going to read a little later, the man who wrote this letter, Paul, he and his partner in ministry got into such a divisive uh, argument and it said the division became so great between them that they broke their relationship and split the ministry in half. 
So you, I mean, this is the greatest Christian ever lived. He wrote half the New Testament and he couldn't get along with his ministry partner and they had to split from each other. And uh, so division has always been a problem among people and whatnot. And it's, it's just there. Um, let me talk to you about division from scripture. We're going to talk tonight about how to deal with it. But before we talk about that, let me show you from scripture. You see what you think about what I'm fixing to say. Conflict and discord are Satan's chief tool. Some people say it's discouragement. I say it's division. I believe division is Satan's chief tool, his primary tool. Here's why. He knows the word of God. Satan knows God better than any Christian ever did. He's, he, knows, he can quote the entire word. He did it in front of Jesus and he knows the truth. And here's what he knows. God works in a spirit of unity. God works for people get along with each other. And if you want to mess people's lives up, turn them against each other and divide them against one another. So he is constantly working to turn people against each other and to divide people, to turn people against each other. I want you to look with me at a passage. Turn back with the book of Galatians. Should just be two books back from Philippians. Now, let me remind you, everything you see in scripture, Satan knows it and knows it well and, and knows how to pervert it and use it. But in Galatians chapter five, verse 14, <clears throat> I'm gonna read two verses here about division. Galatians 5.14 says this, and this is a tremendous verse. Galatians 5.14, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, love your neighbor. Isn't that a tremendous verse? You know what he just said? Here's the whole Old Testament, love people. He said, you, you love people and you'll fulfill every commandment there is. All right, he shifts gears in verse 15. Watch what he says. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. The word consumed in the Greek is the word destroyed. All right. If I were Satan and I wanted to destroy people, what would I get them to do? Arguing, fussing, biting, and devouring one another. I'd get them turned against one another. If you want to destroy people, turn them against each other. And he knows this. He knows the truth. <clears throat> this is in a marriage. You destroy marriages. The Bible says this, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It, it's not the big issues. It's the little things where we just can't get along. And then all of a sudden that crack grows wider and wider. Feelings get harder and harder. And then all of a sudden one day, it, it just the disillusion comes. If you want to destroy something, get them fighting each other. Uh, that's a marriage. That's a family. Get the kids and their parents fussing back and forth. You know how you destroy a church? Get them to fall out over little issues. Get them fighting with each other. Get them divided over little non-essential issues. Uh, people don't divide over the virgin birth. People divide over whose grandma gets to play the piano. And what he say in the scriptures, brethren, these things ought not to be. And he said, do not do this. You don't bite and devour one another or you'll destroy one another. One of the things that the enemy knows that I don't think believers know is that it is unity that God puts his spirit on. The Holy Spirit's always looking for some place to work. He's not looking for how smart you are. He's not looking for how you've never smoked a cigarette. He's looking for unity. And the Holy Spirit rests on unity. Psalm 133 says this, how blessed when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil being poured on uh, the prophet's head. It goes down his garment. This is where the Lord commands his blessing. Now, if I were Satan and I knew that God's going to put his spirit on unity and bless it, guess what I'd be doing amongst people? I'd be doing everything I could to, and the Bible calls it this, to sow discord. It talks about sowing discord among the, or causing people to argue with each other, causing them to fight with each other. Matter of fact, I want to show you something that's um, just surprising. A lot of I, people can't grasp this, but I'm going to show it to you in scripture. Trust me to John chapter 17. If you're familiar with John 17, this is the Lord's prayer. Now, what we call the Lord's prayer is really the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven. John 17 is the last prayer Jesus prayed on the earth. Right before he was crucified, he went into the Mount of Olives. He prayed this is, and he prayed this prayer. And he asked for some things in his prayer. And I want you to watch what he asked for in this prayer. Now he's praying to the Father and you're gonna find out where he prays for you in this prayer. And I want you to look at what he asked for in this prayer. And there's a tremendous lesson here. John 17, verse 20. Now we're gonna jump into the middle of the prayer. 
He says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about the disciples around him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Isn't that you? I mean, if you believed in Jesus through the word that those men wrote, all of us did. Now watch what he prayed, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. Now you read that verse. Tell me what is the key to the world coming to Christ? Is it advertising, knowledge, fancy music, fancy preaching? It is the church treating each other right. I pray that they might be one, that the world might know that you sent me. How close should we be to one another? Let's read this verse again. Verse 20, verse 21, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me. He wants the people that in the body of Christ in church to be as close as the Trinity is. As the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, he wants us to be one in that regard. And then he repeats it again. Verse 22, the glory, the Holy Spirit, which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. You notice how I keep saying, I want them to be as close to each other, God, as me and you are to each other, as me and the Father are. In verse 23, it said this, I and them, you and me, that's the Holy Spirit, that they may be perfect, may be made perfect in one, that the world may know you sent me and have loved them. Why does the world not know that God loves them? Because the church is divided. And you can see clearly in this prayer, this is, the last, this is the last thing Jesus ever asked for on the earth. He prayed that these I'm leaving might be one that the world might believe in me. So dear ones, we think the key to evangelism is more missionaries. You know, television, uh, technology. What did Jesus say? When the church becomes one, the world will know that you sent me. That we have underestimated the power and the value of unity in our relationships. Guess who hadn't underestimated it? Our enemy has not. And that's why he is in constant uh, attack mode to divide and to sow distrust and discord uh, constantly among, among people. One of the names that the Bible gives Satan in the Bible, Revelation 12, it calls him the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses the brethren. You ever had any, had any, have you ever had a suspicious thought come in your mind about somebody? Guess who? All righty. Now let's do this. Let's look, let's look in scripture tonight. I want to talk about two things now. How to prevent conflict and how to deal with it when it's there. How to prevent conflict and how to deal with it when it's there. And again, I want to just say this. I wish somebody taught me this years ago. I didn't know this. I'm, I'm old now and I've learned some things. I want to give you three things the Bible says about preventing conflict. And let me say this about preventing conflict in your marriage, your friendships, your church, your community. <clears throat> How many of you think a guardrail at the top is better than an ambulance at the bottom? Well, unfortunately, it's too late for the guardrail in many cases. But I want to tell you something. A guardrail is a good idea. And uh, here's the guardrail at the top, how to prevent conflict. Number one, you have to decide to refuse offense. You need to make up your mind. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to let what people do offend me. I don't care if it's my wife. I don't care if it's the people I work with. I don't care who it is. I am not going to get offended. And the reason for this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses about 9 through 12, where he said, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes, unforgiveness. And listen, I've made up my mind. Nobody's ever going to owe me anything the rest of my life. I'm not going to be offended. <clears throat> Number one, I don't want junk in my life. Number two, I like sleeping at night. I like smiling. I love enjoying my life. I want to listen to what the Bible says about this. <clears throat> James 1:19. let every man be slow to anger. You need to be very careful about getting angry and being offended at people. And be very slow about it. And I'm going to say something here. I pray this is not offensive, but it is from Scripture. A lot of people are very pr pr proud of the fact that I don't take no junk off nobody. That's not something to be proud of. That's a character fault. That's not a character trait. Slow to anger is a character trait. It's a blessing. And we need to be a people that are slow to anger. I don't know if you've ever uh, studied the great passage in the Bible on how love acts. It's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You're familiar with it. Charles Stanley said, if you get put in a communist prison and you can't have but one chapter in the Bible, get 1 Corinthians 13, it'll carry you the rest of your life. And that's where the Bible says this. I don't care what you can do. If you don't walk in love, it don't matter. If you don't walk in love, nothing matters. 
And then it describes love. And I want to point out how it describes love. It defines love, says love is patient, love is kind. But it says this, and I love this version right here. It says, love is not touchy. Y'all know what touchy is? Quick to be offended. Uh, Actually, I think the new King James that we use here, the Bible actually says that love is not provoked. You, You can't offend love. People that walk in love, you don't have to walk on eggshells around them. I'm not getting many amens tonight. Do I need to change subjects? What do you think? We have mastered the art in this nation of walking around with a chip on our shoulder just daring somebody to pee us off. That is the opposite of the love of Jesus. Because the Bible says love is not offended. It's not touchy. It doesn't, it's not quick to offend. And what does it say right after that in 1 Corinthians 13, 4? It never remembers when somebody does it wrong. And we need to be a people that decide, I'm just not going to be offended. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be like that. Number two, number one, you need to refuse. I'm not going to be offended. I made up my mind. Number two, you need to be an overlooker. I'm going to be an overlooker. Now we, we all celebrate that we're the Bible says we are overcomers. Everybody loves that verse about overcoming. What about the verse about overlooking? Y'all don't even know that was in there, did you? We celebrate overcoming. The Bible said, I want you to talk about overlooking. Turn with me to Proverbs. This great verse in Proverbs about being an overlooker. Proverbs 19 Proverbs is the great book of wisdom that talks so much. Proverbs is the book of relationships. Now, Proverbs is 2,800 years old, but listen to what I'm fixing to say. Getting along with people has never changed in 6,000 years. Technology changes, clothes and styles change, but how to get along in a marriage has never changed since day one. And the book of Proverbs is the great book of how to relate to people. But I want you to look at what the Bible says about overlookers. Proverbs chapter 19 Verse 11, <clears throat> Proverbs 19, 11. The discretion of a man makes him what? Slow to anger. What's discretion mean? Wise. A wise man is slow to anger and his glory is to do what? Overlook a transgression. You say, well, you, that's a weakness if you, don't, if, you, if you overlook what people do. The Bible said it's glory to overlook a transgression. You know what this means? Some, some little transgression somebody does, you just say, I, I, don't, I don't even notice it. I don't pay no attention to that. Can this be a big transgression? It don't matter what size it is. It is to a man's glory to overlook transgressions. And I'm talking about personal transgressions against you. It is inevitable that transgressions are going to come. People are going to do things. People are going to make mistakes. And then they're going to do things on purpose. The question is not, are people going to do things to you? The question is, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to be an overlooker or are you going to be an on topper? The Bible said the glory of God is to overlook a transgression. And to make up your mind, that's just, if you offend me, I'm going to overlook it. Now let me point something out here. That's not our flesh nature, is it? How many of you, it just makes you, just, how many, just, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's our flesh. That's our base nature. It is not the flesh's nature to overlook a transgression. It's the flesh's nature to do what? I'm going to get my pound of flesh. Do unto me? God, I'll do unto you. That's just, that is our flesh. That is not holy. And uh, we're going to have to take that flesh nature. That's why the Bible said you have to put out some effort to put on, put on overlooking. All right, look at me in Colossians chapter three. Here's the great verse on putting on. Isn't it funny that when you come into church and you preach against whiskey drinking, everybody amens and praises. Preach against, you know, hell raising and getting drunk and using drugs. Amen. But we start preaching about our sins and it's mm, mm. All right. I want you to look with me at this great call of the Lord. Now let's, let's read some words here. The, ones, let me go ahead and say this. I was going to say, let me go ahead and say this. How many of you think that we have our favorite things that we like, but we're against other people's mistakes? You know what I mean? I, I've, I've got friends, they're against drinking and smoking and all this. But dear ones, we need to say to the Lord, I don't get to pick what's bad and what's right. You do. And the Bible talks in James about those who will kick your rear end for committing this sin, but they'll commit this one and not bother them. And then it goes on to say, they're all wrong. 
And what I'm saying is we need to level out the field. And here's one of them in Colossians chapter three, where the Bible says this in verse 12, Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, what does put on mean? It's not natural. You're going to have to work at this a little bit. Put on, what's with put on? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering. Now watch these words, verse 13. Bearing with one another. You know what it means to bear with one another? Overlook transgressions. You ever heard this? I'm not going to put up with that no more. That is not bearing with people. That is not being patient and merciful. And uh, I've had people say to me, and use it's them who don't put up with nothing. Well, I don't believe the Lord means for us to be a doormat. Dear are you going to follow him or are you not? And we've got to make up our minds. We're going to do what he says. And we're going to bear with one another. <clears throat> the scripture says, verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Now watch this. If anyone has a complaint, the complaint department is now open. What did the Bible say? Has anybody ever had a complaint? Well, it must not be y'all that sends them emails then. We all have complaints. We all have something to complain about. People cut us off in traffic. They say stupid things. They don't remember our birthdays. You name it. They, they breathe on us without a mask. I mean, they lie about us. They stab us in the back. They, they criticize us. They gossip about us. We all have complaints. All right, what am I going to do with my complaints? Now, let me, let me pull something out about my complaints. You listen to me. You listen to me. I'm right. I don't see anything in there about being right. Yeah, you're right. Watch what it says. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you do the same. Sort of puts it in a different light, doesn't it? Let me make an announcement. Jesus was right. And he overlooked me. And he had a complaint. He had a legitimate complaint against me. What did he say? If somebody legit, you, you're right, but you overlook it. And you bear with them. And the same way Jesus forgave you, you forgive them. That's, that's called an overlooker. And uh, do you notice in that passage in the verse first read it? It said, yeah, put on these things. Demons, it is not natural to do this. You have to work at this. I'll be honest with you. You have to work at it a little bit. How many of you know some of us have to work at it a little harder than others? Okay. But we can. We can. All right. So we're going to choose to be an overlooker. And uh, number one, we're going to have to refuse to be offended. I'm not going to be offended. The issue is not, is it going to happen? The issue is what am I going to do about it? Number two, I choose to be an overlooker and I get plenty of opportunities. And then number three, here's the third one. I'm fixing to give you a great quote here. And I hope you hold on to this. You have to be a person that values relationship above being right. Being in relationship has to be more important to you than being right. You know why our nation's in a mess today? Because we got a bunch of people that are right. And we ain't got no relationships left. We've burned all of our bridges because we're right. But let me tell you something. You know what this book teaches right here? You have to value relationship above being right. And let me throw this in as a tag and above having your way too. If you're a person who has to have your way all the time, we call you lonely. Any place two personalities come together, somebody has got to do some bending. That's a marriage, a business partnership, a church, somebody got to do some bending. And the Bible said this, we, this is the whole, one of the great truths. You just have to value, we need to start valuing relationship. Cause I want to tell you something, everything you got is going to burn except your relationships. Nothing is going out of this earth except the word of God and relationships. And the houses are not important. The jobs are not important. The stuff is not important. Who, that's my lane. That's not important. Relationships are important. And we have got to get back to tr not just that. We've got to treasure relationships above being right. Uh, this is a tremendous problem we've gotten into having our way. Now, let me make an announcement. God Almighty valued a relationship with me more than he did being right. 
he and I had fallen out with each other by sin. Guess which one of us was right and which one of us was wrong. And it wasn't 80-20 either. But what does Luke chapter 15 teach us? The story of the prodigal son and the loving father. What does it teach us? I want relationship more with you than I want to be right about finding you wrong. And, and what, what's the whole crux of that whole passage through there? Relationship is the heart of God. And restoring relationships is more important to Him than anything else. And we have to be a people. Uh, listen, let me tell you, tell a follower of Jesus. It's not because they got a bumper sticker on their car. It's not because they speak spiritual language. Praise the Lord. It's not because your Bible weighs 40 pounds. That's not it. They can get along with people. You know, that's what the Bible says is the litmus test of God's people. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you've been to the third heaven and you can speak in nine tongues. I don't mean nothing to me. Do you treat your wife right? Can you get along with the people you live with? Listen to this, John 13, 34, 35. By this, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because you can get along with each other. You can love one another. I see, we, 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 we want to raise the dead. You know, we want to get the demons out of NASA and all this stuff. God wants you to go and preach family good. He wants you to learn to get along with each other at the church house. This is the big deal right here. And we have to value relationship above everything else. All right, let me, since we're having so much fun, let me point out something else here. Anybody can find a reason to divide. The reasons to divide are there. You want know to, let me give you, how about, I bet you got this verse on your refrigerator. Let me give you one out of the Proverbs. Any fool can start a fight. Isn't that good? Anybody can find a division, a reason to divide. Listen to what Jesus said. And this is the heart of, of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker is? Now, a lot of people confuse a peacemaker with a peacekeeper. They are not the same thing. A peacekeeper is somebody who doesn't screw stuff up. In other words, the peace was there. We had a good relationship. You didn't tear it up. A peacemaker is somebody else. That's somebody who can go in and fix a mess. What did Jesus say? My blessing, my touch rests on peacemakers not bridge burners, bridge builders. Hey, listen, he is far more serious about this relationship unity stuff than the church is. And people are in this land. You can sort of tell this. All righty. So there, that's, uh, you and I need to, there's our guardrail at the top. <clears throat> I'm not going to be offended. I'm just, I've made up my mind for the rest of my life. I'm not going to do it. I like sleeping at night. I like being happy and I love people. Number two, I'm going to overlook your transgression. If you do something stupid, I'm going to smile about it and go on. I've done stupid stuff myself. I knew I'd get amen out of that. I've done stupid stuff myself. I, listen, I'm just going to overlook it. I get, I get criticized regularly. I get grief all the time and I just learned to smile and go on. And number three, relationships are valuable to me more than anything else on this earth. And I value relationships more than I do being right. I've learned enough to know that I'm not always right. It's, it's about 98%, but I'm not always right. Let's shift gears. Let's do one more. What about, what about when the relationship's already ruined? What about when there's already conflict between people, a family, a marriage, a church is in conflict? I'm going to tell you something. I've been doing this 40 years and I've seen a lot of churches destroyed. I've never, once seen, I've never seen one destroyed by cocaine. I've, I've never seen churches destroyed by immorality. I've seen some churches hurt through it. But I have seen 90% of all the churches I've seen destroyed, it was over division and bad attitudes that people had. Of course, you know that. Right, what about when they're already boogered up? Let's talk about healing in the conflict. Let's talk about rebuilding bird, uh, burn bridges. Jesus said, I'm going to quote it again, Matthew 5, 9. This is the, it's called the Beatitudes. It's the foundation of all of his teaching. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the pure in heart. He said, blessed are the bridge builders, those who can go in and heal broken relationships. You know, to build a bridge, it's got to have been torn down. So these are broken relationships. Uh, Mike Smith, 30, 20-some, maybe 30 years ago, came and preached homecoming at my little country church. And I remember everything he said that day. And he pre his message was on blessed are the bridge builders. And he took that text and he talked about people who can heal relationships and build bridges between people. Are we building bridges in our nation or are we burning them down today? 
we have lost regard for relationships in the land today. But Jesus said, blessed are the bridge builders. All righty. Let me give you a couple of three or four things about building relationships. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know many people that don't have a destroyed relationship. I don't, you know, family, parents, aging parents, work. I don't know many people that don't have messed up relationships. Let me give you several. Number one, you got to value relationship above being right. You see, I believe you just said that. It applies in both cases. If I, want to protect my, if I want to protect my relationship with my wife, I have to value being warm above being right. I just, fine, sweetheart, you're right. Whatever you say, and I'm not being a smart aleck. She probably is. You can amen that. If you know me, she probably is right. But the relationship at this age is so valuable, let's just knock it off and love each other. Why can't we be, I'm somebody should write a song. Why can't we be friends? Let me tell you what the truth is. Now, I pray I don't offend you here. I've, have you ever heard anybody say there's two sides to every story? No, there's not. No, there's not. There's three. There's yours, theirs, and God's truth. Man, you, I'm stunned. Uh, Jesus talked in John chapter 7 about skewed vision about how you think you see things clearly, but you don't. And I've heard people, I've been caught in between arguments and disagreements and I've had to mediate mess all the time. And I'll say, now you go first. And this one will tell their story and I'll say, you evil thing. All right, you tell your story and I'll hear theirs and I'll go, are y'all on the same planet? And you know what I find most of the time? Go ahead and say it. Both of them's messed up. Okay, don't amen that if you don't like it. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance. Judge with a righteous judgment. Judge with a right. In other words, you, you think you know something, you better ask God if that's the truth. How many of you have ever been caught by this? I've been caught by this so many times. How many, how many of you have ever just looked at a person and sized them up and found out you was wrong? God, I'm so good at this. How many of you ever been in a situation and you got heated? Y'all know what heated means? Yeah, you got heated and, 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 and they and they and they and, and the next day you woke up and said, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. There's that slow to speak again. J listen, judge with a righteous judgment. Our vision is skewed and you need to realize it is. Number two, when things are torn up, pursue reconciliation. Right, let me tell people, when I tell people, you got to go after it. Pursue reconciliation. What do they always say? But they're the ones that are wrong. They're wrong. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, me and God were out with each other for a long time. Who was right and who was wrong between us? Go ahead and guess. Who pursued who? I didn't pursue God. I was the one that was wrong and he pursued me. Brian didn't so love God that he gave his son. God so loved the world, he gave his son. He pursued me. I was the one that was wrong, but he pursued me. All right, let's look at it. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter five? By the way, that who's right, who's wrong stuff, it don't matter to the king. Relationships matter to him. Matthew chapter five. Again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the foundational teaching of our faith. Three pages, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus taught this is the foundation of life. And I want you to look at his, what he said, what I'm to do if there's division between me and somebody, if there's a wall between us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Excuse me. Uh, let's look down in verse 23. Let's just put in there. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, what's that talking about? If you come to church. You, know, you bring your gift, you come to the altar, you're going to go worship God. If you bring your gift to the altar, verse 23, and there remember that your brother has something against you. You got it? I've come to church, I'm coming to church to worship God, but I, you know, I've, I've got a problem with my brother. Or a, and by brother, it doesn't mean literal flesh and blood brother. It means anybody in the family or somebody. And I'm coming to church to worship God. I got my offering. And, but I've got a problem with somebody outside the church or somebody even in. There was, I have seen people in churches, deacons in churches who would not sit on the same side of the room as each other. Don't you know there's a sweet, sweet spirit in that place? There's not because of that. 
What does it say to do? So I, I realize I'm going to worship God, but I've got a problem with somebody. What does it say to do? Verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar. Leave your church. Go your way. What's the word first be? Before you go to church, before you worship, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Tell me what the Bible teaches. Go after the people. Pursue reconciliation. You say, well, it's their fault. I'm going to church. No, God said, don't bring the offering to church till you fix the mess between the people. Can you see from this passage, right, these verses, how important it is to him that we mend our relationships? What did the Bible tell me to do? You go to him. Did you notice he didn't point out who's right and who's wrong? We have got to get off this who's right and who's wrong. And we got to just say to people, we got to heal this thing. And he said, I want you to pursue reconciliation and, and heal it. The, uh, let me teach you something from Scripture. And this is going to shock you. So much of the evil that's in our lives is because we have broken relationships. So much of the junk that's in our lives is because we have broken relationships with people. I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to show you in Scripture. <clears throat> I don't know if you knew this or not. In the 1950s, sort of around the early 1950s, there was a great healing revival that broke out in America. It's just, we've never seen anything since then. And you had a number of, that was the era of, you know, great tent crusades, tents that held 10, 15,000 people. And I remember a couple of those great, they had a magazine called The Voice of Healing. And it was just a great work of God in the early 50s. And I can remember one of those ministers saying, we weren't, they said it was like healing was in the air. You could just reach up and pray and pull it down. And so many great things. And my daddy told me when in 1952, three, somewhere in there, He's working in Charlotte and Oral Roberts came and set up a 10,000 seat tent. They filled every seat and thousands of people stood around it. And it was just a great work of God in that era. Well, one of the men that discipled me so much was in that thing. And he said, he told a story of a lady and she had numerous sicknesses and diseases and, and she wanted to be healed. And he was holding a meeting somewhere, had his tent set up. Uh, no, maybe it wasn't a tent. Maybe it was in a church. Anyway, he was holding a meeting and she wanted to come and she wanted to get prayed for and get healed. Well, it was a three or four day thing. So she flew, I think it was to Dallas and she went to the meeting and uh, she's in the meeting, going to get healed. And it, she was there for the first day or two. So she wasn't in a hurry to get prayed for. At the end of these services, they'd always have what's called a healing line. After the service, people could like line up down that wall and the team would pray for her. And uh, he said, she's going to wait a day or two. And he said, I think it was the second afternoon. They'd have afternoon meetings and then evening meetings where they'd pray for people. And he said, I preached on the importance of getting your relationships right before you can get healed. And he said, I showed her, you know, I didn't show her, but I was just speaking in scripture. And he said, I didn't know this. She wrote my ministry later and told me this. She said, after that service, I left and I realized there had no sense in me getting in that healing line because she hadn't spoken to her brother in 20 years. They'd fallen out over something, some little something. And, you know, you fall out and time goes along and they'd just fallen out with each other. And she just saw from God's word. Well, there's no sense in me asking to be prayed for. She said, I went to the hotel and went to the telephone and uh, called him at his office. I think he was an attorney somewhere. And she called him and got his secretary and got him on the phone. And she said, I just wanted to call and I wanted to tell you, I'm sorry for the way I've acted. And I want you to, I'm asking you to forgive me. She said, I was wrong. And uh, he said, no, no, you're not wholly to blame. He said, I'm, I'm wrong too. And I want you to forgive me. And she said, no, I'm 90% to blame. And I want you to forgive me. And they went, finally, they just agreed to just split it 50, 50. And they just agreed. And he, and she said, you forgive me, don't you? And he said, I forgive you. I love you. He said, now you're going to come see me, aren't you? She said, as soon as I get back in town, I'll come see you. Be glad to. She said, I put that phone on the receiver. She said, I'd never felt so good in my life, in my heart. Said, I just felt the peace and the sweetness of God. And she said, my plan was to go back, take a nap, get dinner and then go to the night meeting. I'm going to get in that healing line. And, and there's nothing in the way of me being healed now. It's all straightened out. She said, she laid down and got up and all her symptoms was gone. She'd never been sick since. She didn't even have to get prayer. It was just get the relationship straight and the other mess will straighten out. And I'm going to say this again. We hadn't learned this from scripture many times, but it's the truth. Our relationships with people are the root of so much junk in our lives. Let me show you that in scripture. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. I've heard Christians say this and they're wrong. That when it's your time to die, you're going to die. That's not scriptural. I'm going to show it to you. You can hasten your time to die real quick. You can die quicker than God wanted you to. 
you can die before your time. And I'm going to show you how to do it in case you're interested. <laughs> you know, people say, I just don't believe until it's your time. It may not be your time. You may have pushed your time up. Now, dear ones, you're familiar with this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. This is where it talks about what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, verses 24, 25, 26, where Jesus said, until I come back, take communion. This is my blood spilled for you. And this bread is where he talks about communion. Now, watch what he says in verse, um, let's put in verse 29. For who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner Tell you, let's, let's back up. Uh, let's back up verse 28. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What did it say verse 28? Now we used to do this years ago. When I was a young, young man, we used to do this. We'd serve communion and we'd get ready to take it and we'd have a time of silence. We'd just wait on that verse where it said, let a man examine himself before. And it was a time where they just said, play quiet music and you would search your own hearts and the Lord, anything in my heart, I need to get straightened out before I take this communion. And we'd, we would examine ourselves before we'd take this bread and drink this cup. Verse 29, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? Not discerning the Lord's body. Tell me what the Lord's body is. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. You know, chapter 12 is the great chapter on here's what the body's like. The foot is not a hand. The hand's not a foot. Now, Jesus is the head, but his church is the body. And he said, what did he say we have to do? Discern the Lord's body. You got to treat God's people right. You got to discern the Lord's body right. Read the next verse with me. After that verse, <clears throat> verse 30, for this reason, what reason? Not treating God's people right. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick and many have died. Can you see that people couldn't get healed because they didn't treat the body of Christ right? Does the, now is this written to Christians or pagans? First Corinthians written to Christians. If you're taking communion, you have to be a believer. So this scripture teaches you and I that believers who treat each other wrong, a lot of our sickness and people even die before their time, according to that verse, because of the way they treat other people. God can't help you. You couldn't get healed. And, and weakness, a lot of the weakness in the church is because we won't treat each other right. We won't discern the Lord's body. Now, see, we just thought it was, a, well, you know, Aunt Susie and Aunt Smell Fungus, they done fell out again. We think that's cute. It's big stuff right here. And it's the root of so much evil in our lives and so many things that happen to us like that. And that's why the Bible teaches you and I, pursue relationship. Go, go and listen, you be the first one. I don't care if, if they're 99% right and you're just 1% wrong. You be the first one to leave your altar, leave your gift, go leave church and go get it straightened out. And uh, you'd be surprised how much of the junk would get out of our lives if we just start treating people better and learn how to discern the Lord's body, especially the family of God. All right, number three, according to scripture, <clears throat> when we, we're gonna fix messed up relationships, we've gotta go see people. We've got to value this thing. Go see people. Number three, you have to go in humility. There was humility is the lost art in the church today. Uh, let, let me show you the, this is the simple secret to heal broken relationships. One simple verse in Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs 15. See if you agree with this verse right here. With our national scene, the political scene we're in. See if you've seen this in your marriage before. See if you've seen this with your friendships before. This is a simple verse that just heals relationships. And so, you know, like, I, all right, I've, uh, I find out that so-and-so is ill with me or upset with me or whatever. We, you know, we parted relationships. Something happened in the past. Well, you know, that's, don't bother me none. I don't care. That is a totally ungodly attitude. The Bible said, you don't give me your offer until you go fix that relationship. And, and you go. I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to go see them. I'm going to talk to them. So I'm going to go see them and tell them how stupid they are and tell them how dumb it is that they're upset. Amen? Amen. Let's be fundamentalists tonight. Amen. No, no, that's not how you go. My daddy-in-law used to have a saying, he went with his hat in his hand. You know what that means to go with your hat in your hand? You go in humility. All right, so I'm going to go see them, but I'm, I'm not going to go to straighten them out and tell them they're wrong. I'm going to go in humility. Watch this. Proverbs 15, 1. You need to memorize this first. A soft answer turns away wrath. Soft answer. 
That means you go in humility. You don't go in blaming or casting blame. And how many times, I've done this before. Let me tell you something. After a while, the issue is not important. The issue is not important. And I've said to people before, look, I don't know what happened. I have no idea why this happened. And to be honest with you if, you, if it's fine by you, I don't even want to talk about it. I just know this. I do not like being separated and I want us to be friends again. I don't care about the issue. I, listen, I'll, I'll accept 100% of the blame and we don't need to hash a bunch of garbage out again, but I do not like us being separated from each other. And you go with a soft answer. Tell me what a soft answer has the power to do. A soft answer is one of those powerful things in the world. What can it do? It can kill wrath. It turns wrath away. You got somebody there. I've had people just like me. Man. And you'd be surprised if you'd just talk real soft and humble. All of a sudden, they'll just bring their temperature down by 40 degrees. And just keep doing it. And before long, you'll just, you, know, you know why? The Holy Spirit is in it. You know what he's saying in Philippians 4? He said, with the Lord's help, the Holy Spirit. If you'll go in humility, the Holy Spirit will just baptize that thing. And I, listen, I've had people so mad at me, they could cut me. I mean, cut me. I don't even know what the issue was. And I'll just speak a certain way and speak in humility. And within five minutes, they're in tears and say, please forgive me. We should have never got like this. Amen. Amen. It's, well, what'd they do? That's never the issue. The issue is the relationship. It is to heal the relationship and bring it back. By the way, let me, let me get really wild here. This will work in your marriage. Okay, maybe it won't. Never mind that one. Just take that back out. I'll tell you, the pride that is satanic has really gripped our land. That we're going to be right and we're going to tell. What we need is the humility of Jesus who humbled himself. Let's look at the rest of that verse. A soft answer turns away wrath. See if you agree with this. A harsh word stirs up anger. How are we talking to each other in this nation? It's called inflammatory speech. And, and we're, we're angry with people. We're talking harshly to people. What does talking like that do to people? It does what? It inflames anger. That's why we're inflamed as a nation right now. That's why couples go at it with each other. We don't need harsh words. We need soft words. And that's what it means to go in humility. And just listen, you are only responsible for your part. You're not responsible for fixing them. All I can do is apologize for what I did. So listen, I'm really sorry for what happened. And I, I just want to make it right. And I don't want to go to court. And I don't want to go to mediation. I just want us to be friends. Remember, the goal is not to win. The goal is to win your friend. The goal is to win the people of being. All right, let me do one more before we're done here. <clears throat> in, in restoring relationships. I got to value relationships. That's just, just, just imperative. And I got to go. You got to pursue them. You got to go talk to people. And you got to go in humility. But number three, here's the big question. <laughs> I, know you, I know you're going to ask this, so I'm going to answer it. Well, how far do I have to bend? How far do I have to bend? Well, let's look it up. How far do I have to bend with people? That's Romans chapter 12. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, how, far, how long do I have to put up with this? Well, let's just see what the Bible says. Listen, don't call your aunt. Call Jesus. He knows more about relationships than anybody else. Romans chapter 12, how far do I have to bend? What do I have to do? I love this passage. This passage has busted me a few times and blessed me a lot of times. I'm going to give you a few verses. If, if we would just practice these four or five verses, heaven on earth would hit the community. And th this, what you're fixing to read is so contrary to human nature, but it's the nature of God. And these are wonderful verses. I want you to read them in Romans chapter 12. Verse 17 says this. Repay no one. Guess what the Greek word no one means? Evil for evil. What are we doing in this land right now? It may not even be, it might just be perceived evil. But what does the Bible say? You do not pay evil back to people. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Here's verse 18. Here's the answer. If it is possible with you, as much as depends on you, live at peace with who? All men. Does that mean Democrats? Republicans? Let's, let's, just, get, let's just get radical and crazy. Yankees? Let's go further than that. Baptist? 
I want you to look at that verse right there. As far as is possible with you, you live at peace with all men. How far does that tell me to bend? How, what does as far as possible mean? <laughs> Dear ones, now I'm fixing to give you the exception. There's some things where we, obviously, if you look at this verse, there's some people we can't be at peace with. That's what it means. As, as far, obviously, it's not possible if it says as far as it's possible. But a lot of the stuff that's dividing us, it is possible we could heal it. We could fix this stuff. As far as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Do not avenge yourself, verse 9. Watch this verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, get on Facebook, light him up. Now, what does it say? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. When you do this, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. That's exactly what I want. Don't burn his head up. That's what I want to do. Not the application here, dear ones. The, the picture here of that age is like when your family fire to cook dinner goes out, you go next door and you borrow fire from your neighbor to light your fire again. Obviously, if somebody's heart's grown cold, your compassion will warm their hearts up again. Now watch verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You cannot overcome evil running from it. What did the Bible tell me to overcome evil with? You know, if you get angry and you're I mean, just angry and demonic anger. Well, I'm not going to put out anger with anger. Even Barney Fife learned you don't fight fire with fire. What do you fight it with? What Andy tell him? A water hose. Just what do I fight evil with? What do you fight evil with? Humility, forgiveness, compassion, peace. You oh, and, and are we supposed to just fine, let them be that way? No, you are commanded by God. Overcome that stuff. Fix it. How do you fix it? With humility. You fix it with grace. You overcome evil with good. And can you see there's a responsibility there? I'm not going to treat you like you treat me. And I can't just run from you. We have got to quit running from each other. We've got, fine, go your way. We can't do that anymore. We have got to heal relationships in our family, in our communities, and in our churches. And the Bible's very clear that I've been as far as I can. All right, to make that happen. Now, let me make a note here. There are some exceptions in the Bible. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about when a woman has been abused terribly by her husband. You can't heal that relationship. You need to get out of it. When a man beats on a woman, you need to run. And you need to get a father to help you or get the elders of your church or somebody to help you. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about witchcraft where somebody has a spirit of witchcraft and they're manipulating people and they're abusing people. God bless them. And the Bible is very clear a divisive person, after you have admonished them, you've tried one or two times, just draw back. And the Bible says, separate yourself. We're not talking about people who've got a spirit of witchcraft and they're violent. We're talking about, we used to be friends and went to church together, but we fell out over who's going to get to put the flowers in the bed. Me and my wife fell out over, <clears throat> you know, whatever. One of the greatest fights I ever had in the church was over the church planter out at front of the sign, not this one. And the ladies rotated putting flowers in the planter. And one day somebody got in there wasn't supposed to be in there. And you'd have thought we'd had the third coming and Godzilla showed up. <laughs> Most of the junk we fall out over is not worth falling out over. All right. So the Bible tells you and I that. I want to say two things and then we're done. We have got to start seeing discord the way God does. We don't think much of it. We've got to start seeing it the way he does. I want you to turn me to a shocking verse in Proverbs chapter 6. And this, this trimmed trim me back years ago. Proverbs chapter 6. How many of you believe that God is capable of hatred? Notice to follow Jesus means to love what he loves and hate what he hates. You know, I didn't think God could hate anything. Well, let's read it. Proverbs chapter 6, the hatred of God <laughs> is in here. And let me tell you, the hatred of God is driven by love for people. And there he does hate some things. Very clear. Verse 16 of Proverbs 6. These six things the Lord hates. Let me ask you again. How many of you think God hates some things? Pretty clear, isn't it? What's the, now you, I just, everybody look right here for a second. If I were to ask you, what, what, do you, what do you think God would hate above everything else? You'd say child molestation, human trafficking. That didn't even make the list. What's the first thing God said he hates? What is it? A proud look. That cocky, I'm right. Nobody can tell me anything. You see, what, what we think is bad is different than his bad list. And he mentioned several things here. 
Look at the very last one in verse 19. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. There's some things God just cannot tolerate and it's that cocky attitude that wants to divide people. Isn't it funny how that made the top 10 right there and made his list? If I were to ask you, what is the definition of evil in a person? What would you say? Again, child molestation, you know, trafficking, something like that, slavery. Well, let's look what the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth, winks with his eyes, shuffles with his feet, points with his finger, perverses in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. He, he, he can't get along with people. He divides people. He's always causing trouble. He's always causing a fight. He's always causing a ruckus. We don't think much about this stuff. This made God's top 10 list, made his top six list. Actually, seven lists there. So we need to start seeing conflict different. Here's the problem, dear ones. Where people are argumentative and hard to get along with, the Holy Spirit just disappears. That's called grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's why so many things are suffering now. All right, let me flip this before we're done. Relationships can be healed. Relationships should be healed. You'd be surprised if we would just do what he says. You say, man, them people hate my guts. They'd never listen to me. Yes, they would. You, I'm telling you the power of God, if we would just go in the right spirit and pray about it and go, you'd be surprised what he could do. I mean, I've, I've had to do this for people who just despised me. And uh, well, I'm just, I, let me just tell you what I did one time. I, I broke into a place one time before I got saved. I think I was 15 years old and a little community store near where we live. I broke into the place, broke the front glass out, went in and, you know, and stole beer for all my buddies. And I think we took sandwiches too or something. And of course, I got saved, you know, after I got, I forgot about it. I got saved years later and all of a sudden one day it came back to my mind. I may even know I forgot it, but somebody else didn't. You talk about a memory, whoo. And uh, God put it on my heart, said, go back and see that man and make it right by him. And I thought he is going to throw me in jail. God, he's going to kill me is what he's going to do. I said, I can't go back. I said, I'm in college now. I mean, no, I was out of college. I said, I can't go back up there and tell him that. I said, he'll kill me. He'll just hate me forever. But you know, when the Spirit of the Lord sort of puts something on your heart, he has a way of leaving it on your heart till you get up and get in the car. <laughs> Funny how he don't get over that stuff, isn't it? So I did. I just packed myself up, went down there and went in and asked the lady. I said, is, is the owner here? And she said, he, hang on, I'll get him. And he came up. He said, you a salesman? I said, no, sir, I'm not a salesman. I wish I was right now. I said, I'm not a salesman. I said, can I speak to you in private? Went back there and uh, he just, he might've been in his fifties or so. And I told him, said, listen, I, it was X number of years. I was 15 years old. I said, I broke into your store. I broke the front glass out. I said, I came in here. I stole beer out of the cooler and stole food. And I said, I want you to know that I've met Jesus and I've gotten saved and I'm really sorry for what I did. And I brought my checkbook. I'll pay anything you say. I'll stand here until you call the police if you want to. I said, whatever you say, I'll do it. I figured he was going to light me up. I looked over and he was crying. And he said, son, said, I'm just glad to see somebody get their life right. You know what I did? That wasn't my ability to talk him into that. If you will obey God and go in the right spirit and go in the right heart with the Lord's help, you'd be surprised how we could heal stuff. There's just such power in going in the right spirit to heal. Things. Now listen, not guaranteed, it's not all the time because not even God can move against somebody's will. But I've seen a many a time where his spirit moved on people's hearts if there was any tenderness at all in it and heal situations. All right, let me show you one of the great miracles of the Bible. This is hilarious. It's rather humorous. It's very encouraging. I don't care how long it's been. You can fix stuff, can't you? And we need to fix relationships. Conflict can be helped. Don't you turn me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at a 15 year span here. Acts chapter 15. How many of you think Paul was a Christian? I mean, he wrote half the New Testament, 14 of the 27 books. Some people say 13, I think 14. He wrote half the New Testament. He should have known how to behave, shouldn't he? Well, let's see. I'm going to tell you something. Anybody can get in trouble. Anybody. I'm not, I'm not. Let's look at his weak side here. Acts chapter 15, uh, verse. Now, Paul had a running buddy. His name was Barnabas. Do you remember Barnabas? Do you remember what was famous about Barnabas? His nickname was the son of encouragement. He may have been the greatest Christian in the New Testament in his lifestyle character. And I, the reason I know this is because uh, 
in Galatians when they talked about Peter getting all turned around and Peter said some of the brethren got turned around with him. Even Barnabas got carried away. So that tells you he's the last person he expected to screw up. Well, Barnabas was Paul's traveling companion in their missionary journey. They were, had a ministry team together and they had an evangelistic association. I don't know if they had a bus or not. They had an evangelistic association and they traveled together. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord, see how they're doing. They'd made this tremendous missionary venture, evangelism. They'd won people. The Lord started churches. They were partners. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined. How many of you know being determined can get you in trouble? Determined to take if when John called Mark. Now John Mark was his nephew, uh, many people believe. Paul insisted that should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia, not going with them to the work. All right, watch right here. Two personalities. What is Barnabas' gift? Anybody know? Encouragement. He's tenderhearted. Oh, they, they made a journey and they took with them his little nephew, his younger guy. The three of them traveled together. I forget exactly where they got. And it tells they got there and it got so tough that John Mark chickened out and ran. He left. He ran back home. I mean, and Paul said, all they were doing was throwing rocks at us. All they were doing was trying to kill us and stone us. You couldn't take that. You got to remember, Barnabas sees the best in people. He's gentle. He's an encourager. What's brother Paul's gift? Somebody knew his gift? Granite. This man's carved out of granite. You don't want to die right now for Jesus? Well, you just don't love him. I mean, that's just, he is a prophet by nature. He is, I mean, you, he does not bend. So they took this journey and they took little John Mark with them and the going got tough and he got out of there just because they were trying to kill him. So they're going to go again. So Barnabas is determined. Determined people make me nervous. Well, Paul said he's not going. Well, I'm, I'm not going to take somebody that doesn't want to die tomorrow. I mean, you don't want to die. Go back and get under the porch. <laughs> I don't know what he told him. Watch this, verse 39. The contention became so sharp. Guess what that means? They got in a fight about it. They argued and they fell out with each other. The contention became so sharp, they split their ministerial team, departed from one another. Barnabas took Mark, went to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, went in the other direction. The Christian who wrote most of the Bible fell out with his traveling companion over who they're going to take with them. They fell out over a personnel issue and split their ministry team because they were both so bullheaded. Then was this going to happen to anybody? Anybody can get in trouble. The issue is not, can you get in trouble? What's the issue? Can you fix it? Can you bring it back together? Anybody can fall out. So if the world's greatest Christian can get in trouble here, as some of us have, uh, anybody can. All right, let's turn. I want you to turn with me 15 years ahead. That would be 2 Timothy chapter 4. Acts chapter 15 was written in the year 50-51 AD. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is written in the year 66 67 AD, somewhere around there, written by the same man. So it was 19, excuse me, not 1950, wrong version. It was 50 AD when they fell out and split with each other. And he said, I don't want that boy anywhere around me. He's not tough enough for ministry. All right, let's fast forward 15 years. We have no record of them anywhere in those 15 years, but we do read this 15, 16 years later, 2 Timothy 4. 11. Paul's writing to Timothy, telling him to do some things. 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you. He is useful to me for ministry. So what does that tell you? Somewhere between them splitting their ministry over this guy and 15 years later, guess what somebody did in there somewhere? Somebody went back and healed that broken relationship. Somebody went back and put it back together. And you, can you see that his heart's tender toward the young man now? And he, obviously they'd already been in ministry together because it was useful to him. So this is the model in the scripture. If the greatest Christian that ever lived can fall out and bust a relationship, obviously somewhere he had to go back and fix it. And they had to make this thing right. And here he is 15 years later saying, I need that boy with me. I want him around me. He is very useful to me. And this is the model of how believers should live. If you hope never to have contention with somebody, you might ought to move to Mars. You're on the wrong planet. The issue is not do we have problems. The issue is do we fix them when we do have them. We might fall out like Paul and have such a contention that we split. But the deal we need to do like Paul and go back somewhere later and say, listen, I'm sorry. And I, I hate this happened. 
and I need you. I want you in my life. I want us to be friends again. I want us to heal this thing. And I want us to walk together again. All right. You know what's been happening while, I've been talk- while we've been talking about this night, don't you? Spirit of God's been dealing with people and call- bringing up situations and names and faces and situations like that. And I just want to say this to you. Do whatever he tells you. you it, listen, I heard a highway patrolman say this one time with the grace to his ever church. He said, the first step will scare you to death but you'll be so thankful once you get going. It's like Simon walking on water. That first step might have scared him to death, but them next five, 10 steps, they was fun. You need to take the first step. If you're out with somebody, humble yourself. I don't care if it's 100% their fault. Value that relationship. Go back and fix it. And I've had a few places where I've tried to do this and they told me to stick it in my ear. But you know what I did? As far as was possible with me, I did the best I could. And I still got relationships broken today. I'd give anything in the world if I could be healed. And, and, you know, the deal is I'll do my part as best I can and pray about it and still believe that maybe 15 years from now, if I'm, I hadn't croaked yet, 15 years from now, if I'm right and I can say, bring them, they're useful to me. We're friends again now. We're getting along with each other. I mean, it would be wonderful how blessed when brethren dwell together in unity. Wouldn't that be good? You ought to try this sometime. You might enjoy being nice to people. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you. I'm overwhelmed uh, as a younger man that, that I ain't putting up with that stuff. God Almighty bent to the cross to build a relationship with me that I had ruined. If you will come that far and work that hard so we can be in relationship, we can go and work to be in relationship. I, I just want to pray tonight for everybody here everybody online, that we would value relationship above everything in our lives. Nothing else matters. Father, even Joey the Clown used to say on his show years ago, all we have in this old world is each other. And we would really value those relationships. And I do, we do not want to follow the pattern of this world where we just say to heck with you. Be that way. We're not going to do that. I pray we would follow Jesus who humbled himself to build relationships. I thank you for that. I pray for people that are going to call people and see people. I just pray you prepare the way. You're so in this. this. There's one thing I know. When I go to seek healing with people, you're there. You're usually already there. So I pray for that with people. And I just, I treasure getting along with people in this old age and enjoying people. And I pray in Jesus' name you deliver me and deliver us from dividing over the most foolish nonsense. It's really not that important. Help us to live for what's really important. Lord, there's nothing more fun. How blessed when brethren live together in unity. Nothing more fun to be in a place where people really care about each other and get along with each other. And I thank you. That's where your blessing is. I trust you for that. May Jesus be glorified in our lives and the big things and in these things that are so important day to day. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness to us. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.